Welcome to PIR Wired, a podcast from the Department of Politics, International Relations and Philosophy at Royal Holloway, University of London. We tend to associate political events with certain photographs or visual representations. Sometimes these images become so synonymous with the event that they signify that they embed themselves within our collective cultural memory. But how do new forms of political communication affect the visual representation of politics? To answer this question, we spoke to Professor Lena Hansen of the University of Copenhagen, a leading expert in the role of images in the fields of international relations and security studies. Okay, so welcome to the PIO Wired podcast. My name is Luke Coughlin. I'm here with Benno Laughlin and Professor Lena Hansen is our guest today from the University of Copenhagen. She's an expert in the role of images in world politics. And I think this is a fascinating subject because obviously we associate certain images with political events in the past and they get these iconic states eventually. Um, so I was wondering if you could tell me what makes an iconic image in world politics and could you give us some recent examples? I think sort of iconic images, I mean, we can sort of divide them in, into different kind of categories. So one thing is to sort of think of iconic historic images. So the flag raising at Iwo Jima would probably be an, an image that's familiar to, you know, both older uh, generations, but also to younger ones that might have seen them in the Clint Eastwood uh, movie that we made uh, of them. Uh, what's interesting about, I think, of, of that photo for me is also a big... A memorial statute uh, at Arlington Cemetery. So in that sense, you actually see both the photo and something, you know, in the world, kind of partaking uh, in giving this image, uh, this iconic, uh, iconic status. So we do have historic iconic images that have helped to kind of bring body politics together and uh, you know something like flag raising of Iwo Jima is also a photo that has been mobilized politically and is being used to mobilize politically. So you also see how the motif uh, of the flag raising is then being used uh, in editorial cartoons for example to make critiques of you know various interventions and so on. So uh, to take a recent example, I've worked uh, very recently uh, on the image of Alan Curdy, uh, the little three-year-old boy who drowned as his family was trying to uh, take a boat over from, from Turkey to Greece uh, in September of 2015. Um, and in some ways you see some of the same uh, thing as you saw with flag raising of Iwo Jima. You see how the photo itself uh, gets circulated and gets mobilized politically, uh, and you also see how you get you get all the sort of mediations on the original motif. Uh, so one of the things that sort of show the difference between the 1940s and 2015 is that you see how people use social media both to circulate the uh, you know the original photo of Alan Curdy, but also to create these mediations uh, yourself. Right, so you're not waiting for editorial cartoonists uh, to do it. People would actually you know, Photoshop, take the photograph and, and put, you know, the body of Alan Curdy into other settings. Uh, or you would see people you know, make kind of sculptures uh, of uh, the Alan Curdy image uh, on the beach. There's, there's a quite a, a, a well-known mediation of the photo uh, that has sort of a sand sculpture of Alan Curdy and then there's this shame, shame, shame. Uh, so in that sense, you actually also get text, you know, inserted into the motif uh, to make a political statement. So what's interesting here is, is I think, the sort of the way in which that if we just take Alan Curdy uh, as a striking iconic example is the ability uh, for, uh, you would say, sort of quote unquote, you know, citizens 
to engage with the photo uh, and and sort of there you know through those engagements also kind of make political statements and that it happens so fast so the sharing of the photo on Twitter you know I mean it happens almost instantaneously uh, so just within you know 24 hours you see politicians being sort of propelled to go out uh, and swipe their responses to seeing the photo uh, and to sort of make sure that they're stating that you know something needs to be done politically. Absolutely. Um, so do you think in social media as well as enhancing um, the mediation of the image in this way there's also a danger of erasure or um, I guess what I'm trying to say is um, people doubting the image is mm. veracity yeah. and the uh, role of sort of fake images in mm. politics. And yeah. um, do you see that as an issue for the sort of representative power of mm. images in the social media age? It's a really interesting question. I think that 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 there's sort of elements that are sort of kind of pointing in in, in both directions. <laughs> I think what's interesting about the Kurdi image is that we actually see very little contestation of the veracity of the image. Mm. I mean, I mean, there's some, but it's quite marginal. Um, so, so this is a, this actually is kind of an, the iconic image of Kurdi is one that actually succeeds in in a number of the kind of classical criteria that we have for iconic images. Um, on the other hand, uh, I think that your question points to that there is at least uh, in some part of of, of, of society in more of a skepticism mm. uh, towards uh, the the sort of true status status of images. Uh, if you have you know created a mediation of the Kurdi photo yourself, you know how you can Photoshop and how you can move things around and so on. Um, so I, so I think that I see that as well. I think from a research point of view. To me, that question is pointing to a kind of general, I think, theoretical, analytical uh, component of doing visual research, which is to ask, you know, exactly the question you're doing, uh, but it's like, what is the epistemic status that is given to images? Right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 and actually go out and examine and bring that into the analysis, the extent to which images are being contested or not. Right. So in that sense, instead of being something that you know we as researchers have to have an opinion on, it could be something that we research. Absolutely. Uh, so so we're moving it into kind of making it a social, you know, epistemological uh, question. I think if I can just make just a just a kind of final kind of historical comment to this as well is that the status of, of, of photographs has been contested almost from the beginning. So there's sort of classical <laughs> photographs from the Crimean War uh, and you know, where the objects have been moved around right, to, to actually create a particular striking scenery. So in, in, in some respects, if we take a sort of longer historical perspective, asking questions about the epistemic status uh, of photography is, is also not in itself new. Of course. Thank you. Um, so you've mentioned in your work that emerging issues like cybersecurity don't have an immediate visual grammar mm -hmm. that people can access and easily identify in the same way that war might invoke certain images for us. Um, do you think that's a danger um, when um, encountering the public's understanding of these mm -hmm. emerging issues? Mm -hmm. I do think that that in the ten years since I wrote that article on cybersecurity, <laughs> um, I think actually a lot has happened. Mm -hmm. So some of the research that I've done in in uh, in the larger kind of research group on images and international security that I have at the University of Copenhagen, I've actually collected data on the visualization of cybersecurity mm -hmm. uh, that I'm just in the process of mm -hmm. analyzing in more depth. Uh, 
um, where we've looked at the, at the images that have been used to illustrate stories about cybersecurity uh, in the New York Times, amongst other places. So I actually have like two thousand images that I'm about to analyze. <laughs> um, and I think so. I think in those sort of ten years, you actually do see some motifs kind of start to crystallize. Uh, you see, uh, you see the hacker. Uh, yeah, with the hooded, you know, often sort of shot from the back, and uh, and you see sometimes in combination with the hacker, but then you see like just a running of code on screens. Um, you also see, uh, which in some ways is, I mean, they're all interesting, but but I think is particularly interesting in some ways. You sort of see the um, shots of hardware. Yeah. of computers and cords and what would look like mainframes and so on. And what's interesting about that is that that's so disembodied. A lot of the kind of iconic images that we would think of include humans. And sort of the status of the individual in security theory, you know, I mean, that's such a long part of security studies is, you know, how are threats to the individual made collective or not? So here you actually see something we would see is sort of relatively you know, you know, kind of unemotional, disembodied, and so on. One of the things that I'm really interested to look into is the way in which that the use of captions and text, you know, mm. does something to actually kind of give a different kind of status to these images. Mm. So, so, so that is one of the interesting thing about about cybersecurity. Uh, I think just a final thing is that in the sort of Ten years since I wrote that article with Helen Nissenbaum, I think there's also been a component of cybersecurity that is in the discourse of cybersecurity that's new, which is sort of the uh, the fear of surveillance has come out more strongly. Mm -hmm. So you know, if you take Snowden, I mean that's sort of a key example. So that's also one of the kind of things that we would look for in this material um, to see whether we can actually find you know what's the visualization that would go with that kind of securitization of the state intrusion data gathering and mining uh, and so on. But I think also the final thing I would say in response to your question, um, I think it also shows that, I mean, I think you can argue two things. It's sort of one thing is that if something is becoming securitized, which cybersecurity, I mean, has escalated in the last 10 years, uh, then there also will be an attempt to visualize it. Um, because media, both, you know, social media, but, but also classical news media, you know, this visuality is so important to it. So you do try to find something, uh, even though when some of the images that we've looked at in this material is just like, you know, there are people having lunch at the airport. Like it did sort of, so you can also see that there's sort of stock images that don't necessarily really nicely illustrate probably if I ask you to draw me an image of cybersecurity, but then photo editors, you know, we use whatever is available. So just to kind of repeat what I was saying before, I think theoretically in terms of our understanding of how security discourse uh, and visualization, particularly by the media, works is that you will try to find something that illustrates it. And then over time, you probably see the kind of convergence around, you know, some kind of generic mo motifs. Um, the other thing is that, that I think cybersecurity is also interesting theoretically, because it also shows us that you can have an issue that increases in magnitude and securitization, uh, even though it doesn't start out with having striking images. So there's something about, you know, sort of us who've come in to study visual security, images and security studies, that because we start with the images that are brought into security discourse, with the iconic images uh, that give rise to, you know, discourse and politics and, and so on, uh, then we might also kind of be drawn to sort of say, oh, you know, all security issues, you, you know, have good images. 
But cybersecurity shows us that that's actually not the case. So I think it's it's it, you know so so for that reason I I've been you know quite interested uh, in 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 that kind of visual security uh, dynamics attached to cyber. Can I just jump in there? Um, I'm wondering if if this might be a, an instance where we can kind of show that securitization isn't fully working in mm-hmm. in as much as I mean, is it your impression that the general public are persuaded by these stock images or the, mm. the image of the the data cascading down mm. the screen like from the matrix D- does that make them view using computers as as a security mm. issue like I'm wondering if this is a case of kind of failed securitization mm-hmm. if the public don't accept that yeah. I think that that's a really interesting question I mean I know that that, that you've done work where you're you, you know remember your article on the Abu Ghraib images where you're all showing them to people and so yeah. on and that's not work that I've done so it's an interesting thing to to mm. to explore um, I guess theoretically in terms of if I'm thinking back through sort of securitization theory it would be possible that if you were doing sort of a you know audience reception kind of studies where you were asking people about whether they would whether they actually find cybersecurity to be a securitized issue of course you can't ask people that question but but you can ask them about you know do you have a fear that your personal data is going to be stolen when you go online yeah and use your credit card right so is it a securitization of everyday kind of you know being digital um, and let's sort of say that you found support for that, sec- you know, for sort of an everyday securitization, you know, that runs through the digital. I guess you could sort of say, does this image, you know, would, does this image kind of, you know, illustrate that? Yes. Uh, so I think it's possible that you would have, you know, support for, you know, audience support for securitization without there necessarily being, you know, without that necessarily translating into the images. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, it does, yeah. um, I think. But I think it's an interesting empirical question. Mm. Um, yeah. I Certainly, mean, I mean, we we found when we were looking at the icons from Islamic State yeah. or from Al Qaeda that um, people were just seeing in the news a kind of angry man yeah. or shouting at the screen yeah. and threatening the West, yeah. and this gave the the general public n- zero understanding of mm. what radicalization mm. is. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they they would be shown the the image of the. The teenager in their bedroom and then the shouty cleric yeah. and between that they were told radicalization is a threat to Britain mm-hmm. and and they felt it but they couldn't explain how it works or, or how the issue works yeah. so yeah, yeah, yeah. and I mean that sounds that makes a lot of sense when you're saying yeah. that in terms of these results that I guess it also sort of illustrates to me the you know the significance of text and discourse mm-hmm. to assigning meaning to images right? so so you know I think that just sort of a basic theoretical starting point for me has always been to start from a conception or theorization of the image as polysemic and and just sort of you know, something that Roland Barthes was you know famously kind of introducing that as a starting point so it means that the image an image always have multiple interpretations uh, and therefore that there has to be an anchoring of the image you know, for it to say something, you know, mm-hmm. specific. So yeah. I think that what you're saying, there's also kind of an illustration mm-hmm. of yeah. that. So what happens with with iconic images is that you've actually had, you could say, sort of so consistent an anchoring uh, that there are particular interpretations that are available. So therefore, a 
after the first beheading uh, of, of of hostages, you know, the James Foley uh, in in August of 2014. You know, if you're showing people a picture of of that, like that sort of shot of him kneeling, that was on the front cover of of, of, of many you know newspapers and so on. Mm-hmm. You'd probably, I mean, that you'd probably get a recognition. Uh, but as soon as you move, a, you know, move outside of, of the iconic images, what you're describing yeah. sounds very yeah. both not just plausible but very interesting. Mm. That, that also raises the question of um, how universal iconic images mm-hmm. can be because there, some of the literature the, there is this idea that iconic images are iconic because they, they have this kind of prototypical quality that mm-hmm. any human being could understand almost mm-hmm. bodily. Yeah. So Tiananmen Square works because 5,000 years ago somebody, a hunter-gatherer, could stand up against a, an elephant or something mm-hmm. uh, or the, some of the, the killing of Mohammed al-Dura a boy with child. There's something mm-hmm. about parent with child that's mm-hmm. a kind of universal images. But you're suggesting that these iconic images quickly become kind of locked down by certain discourses that mm-hmm. they're put into. So the idea that uh, an iconic image could bridge different political mm-hmm. communities is kind of makes that difficult, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess also that it's it. I mean, in some sense, you know, whether whether an image gets to have iconic status, you know, outside a particular content. I mean, I mean, that's an empirical question. Mm. Um, so that's something one can, you know, that's something one can study. I mean, there's some of the images that, you know, I've been working on that has been, you know, responded to across several regions of the world. So the yeah. Alan Kurdi image, yeah. uh, uh, one of one of the photos <coughs> that we use in an article I just published uh, with, uh, with two of my colleagues, uh, we chose a mural from Brazil. Um, to just sort of give an indication that that it wasn't just a European or North or, or North uh, American uh, kind of kind of attention that was brought to this image. I've worked the first uh, images that that I worked on were the Muhammad cartoons of the Danish Muhammad cartoon crisis, which where you saw you know responses to that uh, in places like Indonesia and 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 yeah. uh, and and in the Middle East. So I think in a sense that that's an empirical question. Um, I think that that that. Did you absolutely right that there's certain motifs that has a that has a strong historical um, tradition? Yeah. Um, so you're taking a sort of you know mother with child, um, but so the analysis that I've read is it was like even you'd said that that has a kind of you know that, that you can point to that historical tradition. What that image means and how children has been depicted actually varies quite a lot historically. Right. Uh, so you know just like whether it's depicted as a child or whether the child is depicted as a small adult and mm-hmm. and just like whole what you know what meant by you know maternal care um, so I think that 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 in that in that sense the kind of you know the historical epistemic status that particular motifs have I think is something definitely we should recognize mm. in, in analysis but to me in a sense it's I mean that where politics comes in is that you know Ellen Curdy was not the first photo of a child who's drowned uh, in the Mediterranean, mm-hmm. okay. so 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 therefore, it, it, you know, I look at all the statements that this was such a unique and striking and emotional photo as data in need of analysis, yeah. Yeah. rather than that they are objectively describing to us what we see. So this this image does become singled out, and it's, it is being being constituted, you know, through a very emotional discourse, uh, and that's what I'm interested in studying. So in that sense, um, I think probably. I mean, what you're what you're saying about in way there's certain like the Tiananmen Square uh, photo and so on that can draw on, uh, you know, a, a kind of historicity, 
uh, of constituting similar images. But there are lots of images that could make that claim too and don't get to have iconic status. If I can just say, like, you, you know, from a political science point of view, you know, I, I think that, that that's really, um, in some ways, that's wonderful because that shows that in order to understand at least the visual dynamics, that have to do with these kinds of images, you have to get politics into the analysis. If it was something that we could just simply you know, extrapolate the political significance based on the motif alone, then we wouldn't need to really study much politics. Right? Then we would just list, it's like, okay, I have a list of, these are the following things that need to be in, in a photo, and I will go advise you know, NGOs, or I will go advise the government, and so on. You know, these are, this is the way that images work. So I think, you know, ascribing meaning, finding, you know, finding, but, but the process through which particular images are come to have a iconic status, at least maybe for a little while, is actually one that shows the significance uh, of, you know, politics in the broadest sense. Fantastic. Um, just for a final question, um, how do your theories of images and international relations relate to the emergence of video as uh, something that can be appropriated and reproduced um, by the same social media audience? Hmm. I haven't worked, I would say that when I've talked about images kind of, you, you know, as, as in very gen general terms, and I think that some of the things that are sort of general about the visual, you know, and, and also, for example, the whole sort of constitution of images as having particular emotional status also go for video. I think in some ways it actually might, I think some photos will make a stronger claim to to iconic, sorry, to an emotional status because, you know, that particular second, you know, where that particular, you know, body pose and that particular frame um, kind of actually stands out. So um, just if I can just give an example of that, uh, there was a photo from 9-11 uh, that sort of become known as the falling man. Um, and I don't know if you've seen the sequence of, uh, of photographs that it's part of. Like, I think there are sort of 12 or, or mm -hmm. some at least. And the one that became kind of iconic is one where this man's body is perfectly aligned, you know, with the columns of the World Trade Center. And, and it has a certain kind of, almost sort of like serenity to it, uh, which is also one of the reasons why it was actually critiqued when it first appeared in the U.S. context, that it sort of aestheticized, uh, you, you know, the violence and atrocities that, that the attacks of 9-11 were. But if you look at the other photos, you know, they're much more disorienting, they're much more, you know, he's tumbling through air and so on. So there's actually, you know, quite a difference between, you know, that one photo that is shot in that particular second, you know, where his body uh, had that, that posture. So, so some photos can stand out, but video also because you actually see a sequence. Um, so I think in, 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 in terms of, you know, you know, mentioning Islamic State, you know, sort of, ex, you know, execution videos, you know, obviously this resonated uh, quite, uh, quite, quite powerfully. So, so I think that there's some of the thing, kind of general kind of questions about the way in which visuals can be, you know, mobilizing emotions, but also how there is kind of an under, the sort of we're talking about images as having that capacity go for both photo and 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 and, and video. But I also think, particularly if you're looking at at longer videos, that you need to to analyze that with the genre specificity that it's moving images. So one of the things I think is, is important and it kind of maybe contradicts a little bit that I've been talking about images, images, images throughout this is that I think it's 
always important that when we do analysis of specific genres that that we pay attention to that so in a sense you can see in a video that it you know if, if you actually try to do it frame by frame you get so many frames mm. um, that, that that's not necessarily actually kind of helpful because that's also not necessarily how you you know how we realistically perceive it so I think that that, that one has to take that uh, uh, into into account um, first Hansen, thank you very much thank you Thank you. Thanks very much for listening. You can check out all of our other episodes at soundcloud.com forward slash PIR wired.